at Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. Bronx. This is your special Sunday edition. I am your host, EJ Fagan, and tonight I am joined just by Mr. Scott Moss Esquire. Hey, EJ, how you doing? Or Professor Scott Moss Esquire. There we go. Yeah, close enough, whatever. Uh, yeah, it's Friday. It's, a, it's Sunday night that we're, record, we're recording this about 6.30, right before the game starts. Uh, I am off to the great city of Amsterdam uh, for the week, so we decided to record this early so you guys get everybody gets an episode out for this week. And then we'll be back next week at some point to record another episode. Although uh, the warning warning being that I uh, uh, I will be away I, I will be away the whole time, so I may not be very well versed on Yankee baseball. But still, we'll have an episode in a week. We have an episode now. We have lots of things to talk about. And I'm starting off with a trivia question for Scott. He kind of already knows <laughs> this is coming, but does not know the answer. So I, I right now have the the Statcast leaderboard of xwoba for pitchers. So a low xwoba is good; it means that you're not allowing very strong contact. The leader and the the best xwoba on the team is Araldis Chapman, followed by Dylan Batanzas, Luis Severino, and Jonathan Holder. There are 13 players on this list. One player who we're going to talk about at length in the second, Sonny Gray. The reason why I'm at the, on this leaderboard has a uh, .341 woba. He is tied in fourth place on the team among pitchers who have seen at least 100 plate appearances this year. So I want to ask you, Scott, which three players are worse than Sonny Gray by Xwoba? Two are mm. easy. One will surprise the hell out of you. <laughs> okay, well, that's, let me see if I can do anything with that. And, and for the record, I didn't know this question until two minutes ago before we started, and I didn't look anybody up. So... I'll go with the obvious one of Jason Shreve. Okay. Is that one? That is one. All right. Okay. Well, started with easy ones. Scott, um, I got a little bit of a wind, wind in the background. Are you? Ah, sorry. Okay. So, Jason Shreve and I wonder if Herman. Domingo Herman is not an answer. Oh, I figured he'd give up a lot of home runs and he's looked up. He had a lot of hard contact. Um, I'll give you a clue. The other bad one is AJ Cole. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay. Um, I'd say, and so the one that'll surprise me is coming up, I guess. Yes. we had Shreve go. Okay. Um, I'm going to go with Tanaka. Nope. The answer is Chad Green. You know, I That's just looked him, to me. I just looked him up and the hard contact rate against Chad Green is really high and his walk rate is high. So, yeah. yeah so, um, oh, no, I not his walk rate. he's got some regression coming. He's got yeah, a lot of regression yeah. coming. Because I was looking uh, up, we'll kind talk of, about kind of a little bit scary. Yeah, we'll talk about this when we cover the pitchers. But I was looking up hard and soft contact rates just to see some patterns and whatnot. And I was surprised that Green had a really high hard contact rate against him. So go figure. Yeah, and I just want to apologize to everybody. So Scott's microphone. I think Scott, are you outside right now? Oh yeah, in my car. It, it's a, 
Yeah, it's a little. It, there's a little bit of wind, and so uh, we're gonna we're just gonna we're just gonna pound through this. Uh, Scott's gonna try to uh, mute his microphone a little bit when he's not talking, but there's gonna be a little bit of noise when he is talking. Uh, so uh, let me let, let's move on a little a little bit and talk about the main event tonight, which is Sonny Gray. Sonny Gray had a disastrous start uh, on Saturday against the Red Sox. He gave up, I believe, six runs in the first inning. I don't think he made it past the, I think it was the third inning. Overall, he's having just a pretty terrible season at the moment. Um, you know, Sonny Gray, the Yankees acquired him, f- you know, for a pretty a pretty hefty package, including uh, you know center fielder Dustin Fowler uh, at the trade de- deadline last year. And this year he hasn't. He's pitched 83 innings, which isn't that bad. But his 5.4, uh, 5.44 ERA and 4.39 FIP are pretty bad. So, Scott, is Sonny Gray in your playoff rotation right now? Ooh, playoff rotation. I'd say if it started today. So no Tanaka. Ah, that's a t- oh, if it started today. I think he has to be. In that, unless you really, I'm almost that confident in Loisaga, but that's probably my heart, not my brain. So I'd, I'd want, as a fan, I'd want to see Loisaga and Herman coming after Severino and Sabathia. But I think if I were the manager, I don't know if I'd have the guts to start Loisaga or Herman over Gray. Because after all, I mean, we like Herman, I think you and I both do, but he's had about the same ERA as Sonny Gray. So it's not a gimme that. Gray is better, and Gray, you know, has more of a recent history of being really good. What do you think? I think I go for the guy who can pitch well in short outings over the guy who might give you seven good innings, but also might give you two bad innings. Um, I think in a playoff situation, I think you can start to rely on your bullpen a little more. So, I mean, Chad Green doesn't regress, which is now a little bit scary. Um, and I think once Tanaka comes back in, I think he's a definite no. I think definitely one of Herman or Loisaga will emerge as better than Sonny Gray. And uh, that makes me kind of regret the trade a little bit, although, I mean, I'm not really sure that Dustin Fowler makes this roster at the moment anyway, so it's not it's not the worst trade in the world. Do you, do you regret the trade? I was thinking that I don't, I think, because Dustin Fowler seems like he's kind of a low-ceiling guy. He oddly might be of a lot of use to us right now as a center fielder, but... He's been hit and miss. Uh, I just looked up Jorge Mateo, and he's not exactly killing it at AAA, and he wasn't killing it at AA last year. So he may just forever be the high ceiling, not putting it together guy. So I still think that Sunny Gray doesn't have to be that good to make the trade a plausible one for a solid starter. I mean, he's not, he's not bad, but I'm, well, we'll talk about this. I'm not sure how bad he's been, really. Yeah, so let's. Um, I don't. I don't know. The problem right now is there's nothing the Yankees can really do about Sonny Gray because because they don't have options at the moment. I think it will be interesting to see what they do once Masahiro Tanaka comes back from the disabled list. It sounds like Tanaka is progressing much faster than his dual hamstring strain initially made us think he would, and so he might be back in the next couple of weeks. So let's say right after the All Star break, Tanaka comes back. Would you? And, and nothing really has changed with Sonny Gray, Domingo Herman, or John, Jonathan Loizaga's performances. Would you demote Loizaga or Herman, or I guess Gray goes to the bullpen? That's a good question. I'd probably, as much as I hate this, I'd probably demote Loizaga. I mean, he's the guy I most like seeing pitch just because he's new, he's exciting and whatnot, but the guy's barely pitched above single A, so there could be worse things for his development than giving him a bunch of relief outings so he pitches every third day and 
works a lot, uh, you know, gets a lot of coaching. Uh, there was an old saw, this, you know, dates back decades, that, you know, middle relief is sort of the best thing for a young starting pitcher because you just get more reps and you can work things through. It's almost like a rehab outing. So, and, you know, if he's good there, then that's useful that he's good in middle relief. Uh, so I'd probably do that, but I'm really unsatisfied with that answer. I mean, he's going to run up against an innings limit before he before we get to the postseason, like almost definitely. Short of him like pulling his hamstring and being gone for two months, Jonathan Luizaga will not be pitching for the Yankees in late September, I don't think. Which means that I think that I think that like Jabba Chamberlain style style conversion is like the most likely option for him um, in a few weeks, and that's why I'm I'm with you there. You either send him down and move him to the bullpen, then bring him back up, or you just put him right in the bullpen. And I'd also be fine with that. I, I think he's already pitched, um, you know, a decent number of innings this season. You know, not not a ton, and you know, you'd like to, to see him get up to like a hundred innings or so on the year, which is already kind of stretching it given his minor league track record. Uh, but beyond that, you know, I think I, I think you know a Chad Green type role is the right way to do it, or you turn him into an opener, which I think is also a, an interesting interesting option, especially with somebody like Sonny Gray. Um, but I'm with you there. I want to move on and talk a little bit about the other guy who has uh, the, the other roster move the Yankees have moved uh, made recently. I guess the uh, the only roster move the Yankees have moved, made recently, which is they have called up Brandon Drury. Uh, the Yankees have stated that Drury is up for good. They called him up um, in part because the Yankees had, were throwing three left-handed pitchers at them, and they wanted a, a righty to play first base occasionally. Uh, in part because he's just been killing it at AAA and deserves to come back up, and in part because Greg Bird has not been very good. Uh, so I want to ask you, let me start by asking you, what is Brandon Drury's role on the Yankees for the rest of the season? Yeah, that's a good question. And the short answer is, I think it should be Neil Walker's role that he would take over. But I think they don't seem confident in him at second base just by the fact that they haven't played him there at all, even to give an off day um, or fill in late innings or whatever. So I wonder if they just don't see Brandon Drury as anything other than a corner infielder. And I don't know whether that's right or wrong, but I'd love to see him just take Neil Walker's job at this point. So it's interesting. So if they don't view him as a, like a plausible, like even like, you know, one day every three weeks, second baseman to give Glaber Torres a day off. Do you kind of need a second baseman on this roster? At least, you know, for the moment, I mean, Ronald Torres is in the minors. Tyler Wade is in the minors. Neil Walker is on this team. So Neil Walker is essentially just a backup second baseman then, I think, with Drury, Drury up. Is that it? Yeah, and you don't need him as backup first base. So the weird thing is that at both in the majors and in AAA, Drury has played zero second base, even though at AAA they gave him five games of first base, mostly full games. You'd think if they wanted to keep his middle infield skills fresh, they'd give him at least a little bit there. So I don't know whether they don't like him there or they figure he has enough to work on, let's not give him something else. But that just surprised me because I thought his versatility was one of his big pluses coming in. Should Brandon Drury be essentially platooned with Greg Bird, except for some, sometimes there are some times where Matt, the Yankees are playing matchups a little more than a platoon. So they thought that Greg Bird... Had, was going to have a strong game against Eduardo, uh, Eduardo Rodriguez of the, the Red Sox, and on Friday he hit two home two home runs. So even though he's a lefty, he started that game. Um, but for the most part, is this just a platoon at first base? That's a good question. The weird thing about this is that they're righty-lefty, but both of them have 
extraordinarily little platoon splits, so they're both really bad candidates for a platoon. I mean, normally in a platoon, you get a little better hitting from each player because they're a little better against the opposite side, but here, no. So I wonder whether, for example, you'll see weirdo platoons like Bird is more of an actual first baseman, and Boone gave some quotes saying, yeah, Drury will be rough out there, but he's athletic, so he'll learn it. Maybe something, you know. <laughs> <It's> not good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Maybe something like, you know, Herman has an incredibly high fly ball rate. Uh, maybe you put Drury at first base there because there won't be as many ground balls. Um, so it's sort of a defensive platoon, but it's just not a great match for platoon. I, I, I want to say, like, Greg Bird isn't, doing bad at the like Greg Bird is is after those two home runs is now batting 204 315 3452 definitely not something that you want to see out of your first baseman but on track for almost two wins right that's like he's kind of back I think it's I think we're I think we're kind of we're, we're we I don't think that Brandon Drury is a long-term option at first base because I think he has a low ceiling and I think that Greg Bird's kind of showing signs of life and so I'm I, I'm I'm kind of nervous to platoon him there. I, I think Brandon Drury should be on the team as a backup infielder generally, but I, I wouldn't. I'm not sure if I would do a a, a a straight platoon. Luckily, it's the short side of the platoon, so it doesn't really matter that much. Yeah, um, you I want to ask you more. Oh, just a more oh, so interesting question, real quick. Just one last thing about Why Gray. Is Neil Walker. Go for it. Go for it. Oh, so one last thing about Gray is that he's slightly on the plus side of average. OPS plus is 106, and the day he came up and back. If any Yankee fan were asked, do you think Greg Bird's first month is going to be his best month of the year? You probably would have said no, he'll have rust to shake off. So you'd expect that whatever he's done so far is sort of a floor, not ceiling. Well, as a floor, this isn't bad. He has the power, he's drawing walks. He just is making contact less than you'd want. But that's sort of the most obvious thing for a power hitter to lack if it's just rust. Like if you weren't hitting the ball hard, I'd be more worried if you were hitting 300 with no home runs. So that's part of why I'm not worried. All right, so Neil Walker is still on this team. So I wanted, want to ask, why is Neil Walker still on this team? Yeah, I, the only <laughs> thing I can figure is just that they don't trust anyone else as their backup middle infielder because he's functionally their backup second baseman and shortstop and that you put him a second, you put uh, when Torres is off or has to be pulled out, and if you need a shortstop, you move Torres over to shortstop and put Walker a second. So um, I assume it's that, um, but it is possible they're, they're about a couple weeks away from releasing him. I mean, he has been probably the worst player in the major leagues on a per-plate appearance basis. So right now, Bay Baseball Reference has him at negative one wins above replacement in just 49 games. So that's like on track for like a you know late career pools and type season. And I have a theory, and that theory is the only reason why the Yankees haven't cut him yet. They've basically cut his playing time down to near zero. The reason why they haven't cut him yet is they're waiting to trade him. He's got a $4 million salary. They're, they might be close up against that luxury tax. And so in, instead of just cutting him and replacing him with Ronald Torres, who neither you nor I are big fans of, but can certainly do better than negative one win, wins above replacement, um, what they'll do in, instead is they will uh, uh, they will try to try to for if they try to acquire a high salary player, they'll make that team take Neil Walker back in return, so they can absorb whatever Ronald Manny Machado Manny Machado salary is, but it's probably about twenty million dollars, and they can absorb that. And you know, in order to do so, they need to send two million dollars back, uh, which is what he'll be he'll be be owed for the rest of the season at the trade deadline. So that, I think that's what's going on, and that we're just 
we're basically just in limbo for three more weeks. Does that make sense? It could be. I mean, if they release him and they need to dump salary if they get Machado or whatever, then they could always just have that other team throw in four million and there are three million or two million, whatever's left. I'm just skeptical that he'd be anything other than the guy the other team releases, in which case they could just throw in money. And yeah, I, I, I still wouldn't be surprised. I think the most likely scenario is that he is not on the team after the All-Star break, uh, one way or the other. I think release, though, is most likely because by then you have less than $2 million left. That's enough that if they eat it, they wouldn't feel that stupid or anything. By the way, um, Chris Carter the previous year and Neil Walker this year being the guys that everybody, including us, we were surprised they didn't get more money. We thought the Yankees got him as a bargain. And then they performed like garbage. So, I mean, how much does that say about how much teams know what they're doing, honestly, when the guys the Yankees thought they were bargain basement shopping for, despite coming off good years, ended up really being nothing. Yeah, I guess the only the Orioles can do it. Right? <laughs> I, 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 yeah, the Orioles are the smart team. Um, yeah, Davis. I don't know. I, I think that yeah, I, I, baseball's getting smarter. We know this, and baseball can can was able to figure out that Chris Carter's forty home runs were were not worth anything in the pre, in, in the next season. And I guess some you know the scouting report Neil Walker probably said that too. I, I haven't checked out his Statcast numbers from previous years, but I wouldn't be shocked if you know he he got a little bit lucky in uh, in twenty seventeen for kind of a dead cat bounce. Um, so I think that's you know it's, I think it's a kind of a, an interesting question right there. I haven't I haven't thought too much about that. Um, we, we should keep that in mind in the uh, in the coming off season. Uh, so the next thing I want to talk about is just this question that I've I've been I've been trying to answer myself. And the Yankees are probably the best team in baseball. I think probably one of the top six or seven teams in baseball history at this point. It'd be interesting that both both the Yankees and Red Sox in 2018 might both fit that that uh, that label, which is just just fascinating to me. The two best players in the Yankees are clearly Aaron Judge and Luis Severino. They're both been worth they've both been worth about four wins so far, which means they're both on track for eight to ten win seasons somewhere in there, which are MVP slash uh, Cy Young caliber seasons in, in in a world without Mike Trout uh, or Mookie Betts really at this point. And then the Yankees have a lot of other good players, but I'm not sure who's the next best player in the, on the team after those two. So I, what I want to ask you, Scott, is who's the third best player in the New York Yankees? Yeah, that's a tough one. Um, yeah. yeah, the obvious top two. Um, I, as weird as it is, I'd probably go with Sanchez, despite the fall he's taken in everyone's eyes so far. Because, you know, right after we did our episode about are you worried about this guy or that guy and which guy are you hoping is hurt and it's just a, you know, a nickel and dime injury that's having him underperforming. I think you were, I think you were the one hoping Sanchez would have an injury and that sort of is what happened and then he got more hurt. So, uh, but even at that, Sanchez grades out as when you add it all together, or at least, you know, in war and some other categories, he grades out as an average player despite how much he's been scuffling because his defense has actually looked better this year. He's throwing out runners. The pitch framing actually grades out on the one side I saw with it as slightly above average, believe it or not. So I think he's learning catching. And um, if this hobbled version of Gary Sanchez has been basically an average player, I think he both might be the third most talented guy in the team. And, um, you know, the fact that he's so held his value despite playing hurt, I think, you know, he can come back and have an amazing second half easily. So I, I think I think he's a good a good candidate, right? So in terms of you know who's going to be the, the best player going forward, I think he's a good candidate. I think there's some other candidates that are worth thinking about. Giancarlo Stanton. 
Last year, the guy hit 50-something home runs. He was a 7-plus win player last year. He has been a 25 win player despite, I think, getting some bad luck, even though not really in the bad department. Um, there's definitely some improvement coming for Giancarlo Stanton and that could turn him back into essentially just below the judge caliber player, I think. Didi Gregorius, if Gregorius can figure out how good he is, it would be he could be like that five-win player um, kind of on the Andrelton Simmons uh, line. Moore loves his defense this season. I think he's been fourth five runs on defense this season, uh, according to UZR, which is which is pretty impressive. And if he kind of get kind of comes out of that slump and becomes a like an above average hitter or, or, or stays at the above average hitter he's been all season, you know he could be one of the best shortstops in the league that way. And, and I think the interesting one, the, the one that that kind of has me puzzled, that kind of prompted this question in my mind is Glaber Torres. I wonder, I'm trying to figure out how good Glaber Torres is. He has been, hitting-wise, the second-best hitter on the Yankees since he has come up. So he's, he's batting 288, 342, 543. Uh, you know, he's pretty much, you know, if, if defense weren't a thing, he'd be on track for, you know, about a, about a five-and-a-half win season or so, basically doing what Corey Seager's been doing for a long time. Uh, but on defense, he grades out poorly. He grades out as a negative 3.4 wins wins on defense, which is second worst on the team uh, among current players, uh, players currently on the roster, uh, right behind Miguel, well, well behind Miguel Andujar. I don't believe that, though. Like, I watch Gleyber Torres, and he makes some dumb errors occasionally, but he, he looks like a pretty good second baseman. Or, or, or am I am I crazy there? Do you, do you think Gleyber Torres can, can play second base pretty well? Yeah, and... I think that defensive you know, metrics are so fuzzy. On baseball reference, they grade him out as above average. And I find it hard to know what to do with the advanced metrics in defense because I don't know what goes into them. It's like tasting a soup that is great, but you don't know what's in it. And you can't, I don't have a subtle enough tongue to figure out if it's cumin or persimmon or whatever. So Torres, I can't see anything he's really doing wrong. At second base, um, his error rate is a little high, but you might expect that with a young guy. So it depends on what balance you give to, you know, errors, range, other things. Um, I think in small samples, there's a lot of luck as to how many assists and other things you get in the infield. And there's a guy who's a shortstop until pretty recently. He's played less than a full season of second base because even when they switched him, I think mid last year at double A to rotate around, they had him playing as much third as second. So I think there's still growing pain. So even if he's subpar, it's a less worrisome subpar than maybe Anduhar is because Anduhar has been playing all third base and is older and is still not good at it. So I'm not really worried. Torres athletic and super talented. Um, you know, he's been up and down though. I think Torres in um, his performance, he had a bad couple weeks. He's down to hitting 288, uh, still with power, but doesn't walk all that much. So it's not clear he has a complete game right now. I'm still super happy he's in the majors. I find him exciting, but I, I'm pretty far from being able to say he's the third best player on the team. All right, so last but not least, Austin Romine's a little bit beat up right now. He, uh, he, he strained a hamstring yesterday. Gary Sanchez is still on the disabled list. The Yankees at the moment probably don't have a, a backup catcher. Like, I suspect they would press Romine into service in an emergency today. Uh, Greg Bird has basically been begging for the shot uh, to play catcher. He was drafted. When he was drafted, he was a catcher, and the Yankees conferred him to first base uh, right out of high school. I remember there being some questions even in the low minors if he would, if he would go back to catching, and he just hit too well for, for, for the Yankees to really care. 
And uh, instead of asking, you know, how fun would it be if Greg Bird was the emergency catcher? Are you familiar with the the National Hockey League storyline uh, about four or five months ago of the accountant who who ended up playing goal? Oh, vaguely, but go ahead. Only a little bit. Oh, okay. So the the uh, the NHL has a rule that Major League Baseball just needs to adopt, right? The they've what they've what's called the emergency goaltender rule. Uh, two goaltenders can dress uh, in in the National Hockey League, and instead of doing what the major leagues do, which is the emergency goaltender is just like some other guy in the team who's never stolen his life before, what hockey teams do is they have a list of basically like beer league adult former college players, some current college players, I think, I think, who one of them is always at a game, and they sit up in the press box for a game, and if both and if a goaltender gets hurt. They will go down to the locker room, they'll dress, they'll sit on the bench. Very rarely do these guys get in games, like once per decade or so. And if they do, it's usually right. It takes two big goaltender injuries in order for this to happen, which means that they get into a game for like five seconds. Uh, this, uh, uh, this, this year, uh, a player, an accountant, a 36-year-old uh, accountant who was a former kind of good but not great college player, uh, dressed for the for the Chicago Blackhawks. So early in the game, the primary goaltender was injured, and then with 17 minutes left to go in the game, which is a lot, that's a third of an NHL game. Uh, their backup goaltender was injured, and so he had to he had to play goal for the Chicago Blackhawks in an NHL game for 17 minutes, and did not allow did not allow a, 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 a single goal. I forget how many how many shots he saved, but he saved like a lot of shots. Uh, in the goal. It was a cool story. It was so much fun. It was kind of like, it was literally the pretty close to the picking a guy out of the stands to play. Should Major League Baseball adopt this rule for catchers? <laughs> um, <laughs> I think there should be some provision. Most teams have a bullpen catcher who's in his mid-late 30s and fairly recently caught. So I think you could do something like that. I mean, yeah, because... Here's the thing. It's fun to watch position players pitch. Uh, Matt Davidson, the guy on the White Sox who's a oafish power hitter who wasn't agile enough for third base, came in and pitched. And he apparently had a four-pitch mix and had a fastball that went up to 92 and got three swinging strikes on a strikeout he got. So that was hilarious and all. We love position players pitching. I think that position players who aren't catchers catching sounds frightening and bad in that if you have to catch more than about seven pitches then you're going to have a lot of pass balls and that's not, ha ha, that's fun they hit a home run off the third baseman pitching, that just stinks to watch it looks like you're watching a little league game and you could really have a guy get hurt who isn't used to the squatting and whatnot. you ever do, you know, you ever do an exercise where you think you're in good shape but you haven't done this particular exercise in months or years and then you're just remarkably sore, I can only imagine you know, Greg Bird squatting that long um, by the way, I looked it up, and he played three games of catcher in Rookie League in 2012, and it's hard Good to know... Good enough for me? What? Good enough for me? Yeah, well, except that Put him in, the in, game. in the three games, um, they stole six bases off him, and he didn't catch anybody. So it's hard to know what to do with that, um, except for the fact that the running game could be a lot of fun to watch against Greg Bird or not fun. So I think the position players catching, it's, it's, it's troubling that they have to have an emergency catcher who's, you know, Ronald Torres or, you know, worse, Greg Bird. I think that would be a terrible idea. 
I agree. It'd be fun to watch, but a terrible idea. Uh, I think I like the idea. Uh, yes, in practice, baseball would do this with like the bullpen catcher because they're available and they're out there. But I kind of like the idea of just you know whatever the local Division One college team occasionally send some guys over. I, I think the biggest problem is that unlike in hockey, there's not like this big beer league tradition where fairly high level play is occurring among real adults. Um, you know, pretty much once people either are drafted or leave college, they're basically done with catching 90 plus mile an hour fastballs. And uh, it can be kind of dangerous, I think, for the average guy to get in there and catch Aroldis Chapman. Um, I would love to see if the other team gave that player like a little bit of like basically didn't steal on him. Um, it'd be interesting to see if it was a close game or not. If it was not a close game, I doubt they steal on him. The, the, the thing uh, that'd that, be fun that's to, my wish. The thing that'd be fun to watch a fan play is corner outfield, and that's the only one where you could see them not at risk of being maimed. Because even if it's a hard hit, <laughs> even if it's a hard hit ball, I mean, it takes several seconds for a. Uh, 110 mile an hour exit velocity ball to get to you. By the time it gets to you, it's slowed down to, I don't know what, 80 or whatever. So it'd be a hard hit, but you'd see it coming. And if you get someone who's basically athletic, they're not going to just not see it coming and get hit in the face. Um, they'd misplay a lot of them, but they, maybe they catch some. So that'd be fun. You wish there's a way, it obviously wouldn't work because it would kill the game, for the team to do something like decide one day, you know, have have a rule that if you're down 12 in the ninth inning, you can pick a fan uh, to play corner outfield. Um, it'd make a mockery of it, and they'd never do it, and the players would hate it. But I'd enjoy watching it. Yeah, it's one of those things where it. I can actually see myself getting an out in the major leagues in the corner <laughs> outfield, right? Where it's even at first base, if there's a ground ball to the shortstop, and Didi Gregorius like on like just throws his normal, I feel like my hand would would fall off. I, I uh, we, we had a, a softball team, an intramural softball team in college, and uh, the way that it worked at my college, and I know about you, was that pretty much like we were a Division One college, and the only rule was is you couldn't play intramural in your own sport. So all the sports teams would have their 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 leagues, right? So Division One, basically superhero athletes, you know, are, are out there playing intramural softball against us, and us being in this case, uh, instead of uh, me not being an athlete. Uh, the debate team formed our, our league, which was not good. And the first year, we just get killed, right? Because it's the, the debate team. And the second year, I'm like, screw this. We're not getting killed. I'm finding ringers. And I find a friend of mine who was like a pretty competitive high school uh, baseball player. Like probably could have gone to college to play baseball if he wanted to, but instead decided to kind of be more academic. And uh, his name is Logan. And uh, Logan could throw. And Logan and I would go out and play catch. And he would he would throw he would like air it out at, at me and my hand would hurt like I could I had trouble catching his like I don't know what it was like eighty five mile an hour eighty mile an hour uh, throw I cannot imagine trying to catch Didi Gregorius I would die yeah I had a similar uh, experience up I can catch I had a similar experience on my low level softball team um, in that I got a I run a lawyer league softball team and um, you know it's low level even for a rec league from the fact that. The captain and shortstop of the team is a 44-year-old law professor. So we're not very good, but I'll try to find a couple ringers. And I got one guy, he's a law student, but he played college baseball and he just missed being drafted by his own account. He was being modest about it. He's like, I just wasn't good enough. I was almost good enough. So, okay, so if he was almost drafted, and he means almost drafted in a very low round. So let's say he's basically like the worst guy in the minor leagues, right? Or the tick worse than that guy, maybe. Okay, given that, the level at which he could hit obviously was astounding. The fields weren't big enough to hold the balls he would hit. You know, the outfielders would have to be standing on the other field at the other end of the park. 
And that would just as rude. You can't do that, right? So, but here's the thing. Um, if you got to play deep enough, you could catch fly balls you hit in a field with no fence. So sometimes we're playing in a field where there's not a field behind ours, behind the outfield, and you can play deep enough. You can catch a fly ball. The other team's shortstops were terrified, right? They were backing up into the outfield, sort of playing short left field. And I... I play, you know, a shortstop where I can, I have the hands, I can throw, I have no range as you'd expect for a guy in his 40s, but I can't, what really flummoxes me is when the ball is hit by a guy who's really athletic, just Brian and, I mean, Alex in batting practice, like, I just can't do anything with it other than hope I don't die if it's that hard hit at a shortstop. However, if he hits even a screaming line driver fly ball to the outfield, people can catch it, even casual players, if they're able to get to the right spot, which is why I think that a fan wouldn't, who's basically athletic and has practiced judging fly balls, wouldn't kill himself and could catch some fly balls and maybe some line drives in the outfield, but as shortstop, it'd just be dangerous or second base. And in catcher, they die in about four pitches. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. However, if Kyle Higashioka gets injured, I, for one, am in favor of just pulling a guy out of the stand. <laughs> what the heck? We can sign a you can sign. I'm sure a lawyer. You can draft a statement to make sure that they you know don't sue the Yankees pretty quickly, right? Uh, thank you, Scott, for joining me. Scott has to go. I have to go. We're sorry about some of the the sound earlier in in, in the show. Hopefully, it uh, uh, it wasn't too bad. Uh, we will be back a week from Tuesday or so. We'll see how how much jet lag I have. Uh, for episode 153. Until then, I will enjoy Amsterdam. Everybody, thank you for listening. Go Yankees. Boo Red Sox. This has been your Bronx Beat Podcast. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted.